0: Hey everyone, this is Anthony.
1: And this is Brian.
0: And uh we were hoping to get the the second listener choice episode uh talking about the Prong album Out in Time for you all for the holidays, but uh owing as they say to circumstances beyond our control, we've been unable to to do that uh to record it in time. So we we're planning to put that out in January instead, uh as soon as we can, but not not before January. Um So in the meantime, we thought it would be fun to do a sort of reissue, if you like. So what we're going to do is this episode is uh, a a rerun, if you will, of the first ever bonus show and the first ever Christmas show, if you like, that we did for volume one, way back uh, for Christmas 2015, where we talked about Trans-Siberian Orchestra's album, Christmas Eve, and other stories, which was uh Brian, that was your pick for the bonus, wasn't
1: it? It was. And I have it was funny. I was literally just talking about this album and that song that makes me cry every time I hear it, Old City Bar the other day with my workmates. And so this right. is very timely. And I'm wondering maybe if it becomes a Christmas tradition that we you know <laughs> replay the episode. It's kinda of like it'll become like the Charlie Brown Christmas that that people can listen to uh each year. But yeah, it's uh, it's an album that for me every time of year. At this time, it is on constant replay.
0: Yeah. So, and the thing is also, we've, frankly, we have gained a lot more listeners to the show since we did that episode. Uh, And, you know, not everyone goes back and listens to the archive, you know, goes back in. I know some people have done that. They've heard an episode, got into it, and then gone right back to the start and listened, you know, right the way through to catch back up. But not everybody does that. So we thought it'd be fun to give this episode another spin for well for everyone but especially for people who didn't hear it the first time around um and also as it's a reissue this is going to be a a quote-unquote free episode we, if you're a patron you won't be charged for this episode don't worry uh this that's a holiday gift to you all
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it is
0: uh so Thank you for your patience. Happy holidays, everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa, whatever it is. Uh, Peace and goodwill to all. And thank you all, as always, for listening and supporting the show. And we will see you in the new year. Keep thrashing. Take care. This is Thrashing Out, a show ho ho where we listen. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. (laughs) Where we listen to a heavy metal album and then use it as an excuse to argue about shit. I'm Anthony Johnston,
1: and I'm Brian Latenry, and today we are going to be talking about the 1996 album from Trans Siberian Orchestra, "Christmas Eve and Other Stories."
0: Ho ho ho! Indeed.
1: Yeah, very nice. I like that. If we're going to get punny at the top of every show, I'm mean, that's, that's another layer of homework we're going to have to do, because we'll have to bring our A-game.
0: Oh man, I don't think I'll be able to keep that up for every show. Um, yeah, hello everyone, this is a bonus track for Volume 1. Um, obviously you weren't expecting this because we didn't warn anybody, uh, so this is a nice little stocking stuffer for you, a nice little Christmas bonus.
1: Yeah, the only people that can hear it are those that are still listening to the Armored Saint episode. If you've left it open <laughs> in your player and it's played for three weeks now, you are just starting to hear the Christmas episode. Three
0: weeks of silence yeah. at the end of the CD, yeah. Only, only the old
1: people in the group will get that uh, yeah, yeah. Will get that oh, reference.
0: Um, yeah, do you remember that, um, which one was it? was it, was it Broken or Fixed, one of the Nine Inch Nails releases, whichever one was the remix, I think it was, had... Um, after the regular tracks had, like, 12 regular tracks, and then it had, like, 84 or whatever one-second tracks. Right. It counted up from... Because you remember, your CD players used to have the track number displayed at the, you know, always on the readout. So you'd play track 12, that would finish, and then it'd go 13, 14, 15, and it just counting up a one-second track constantly until it got to track 99, and that was the bonus track. Yep. Which I think was... Was that the one that had um, the cover of Adamant's Physical on it? Now um, I have to I'm find not, out. I'd, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, I always thought that was a good, rather than just having three minutes of silence using the CD format to count up the tracks. I thought that was pretty nifty.
1: And plus, just a cool like moving from vinyl to CDs. Like that was a cool way to take advantage of that format. In,
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, something something that you couldn't really do on. Well, I guess you could do it on cassette if there was. A lot of space between each side, but it was much easier on c d obviously,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> God, can you imagine a cassette that had like three minutes of silence and then a bonus track at the end right well, it would have
1: to be like the first side is like fifteen minutes, and then the or the first side is like an hour and the second side is like a half yeah. hour, but then a half hour- sli- silence so
0: yeah, and the thing was because track sides on cassettes were always slightly uneven anyway, as soon as you heard the last track and heard silence, you just fast forward and turn over the cassette, so hardly anybody would ever hear it if you put a bonus track at the end of a cassette slide.
1: I don't know if I <laughs> talked about it on this show, but did you see the video of the mother giving her two teenage boys a Walkman and a cassette oh, tape? Oh, no, no, no. Dude, I, if I find it, I will give you a link to it so that you can put it in the show notes, but it is like a five minute long video of these two, they had to be at least 12 or 13 years old, boys trying to put a cassette <laughs> into. <laughs> a freaking Walkman. And it's the most it, first of all, it'll make you feel a hundred years old when you watch it. Sure, but it's sure, it's yeah. the <laughs> most depressing and eye opening thing that that <laughs> you will see in a long time. I mean it's they're sticking it in sideways they're putting it in backwards. They have no, they. They're not even lining the tape up with the slots on the inside cover of the Walkman. Right, like right. you'll be screaming at your computer screen as you're sort of watching, and the mother's just laughing the whole time. But it takes <laughs> it literally takes these kids like five <laughs> minutes to put this thing in.
0: Well, um, you get kids now like seven, eight year olds. You hand them an old iPod, and they immediately start touching the screen. Yes, you know, a click wheel iPod, and they start touching the screen, th- assuming that it must be touch screen. So. And that's only, what, that's not even 15 years old, the original iPod. So yeah, you know, I can only imagine handing them a Walkman.
1: (laughs) And we think that we're so, it's so funny too, but like, because like I have a nine-year-old son and he, like, he'll be playing Xbox and he'll go into the menus to, uh, you know, like customize his character or something like that, which is a process for me that takes a decent amount of time. He is in and out of those menus in like 30 seconds and can yeah. completely customize a character, change the look, change you know, their equipment, all that kind of stuff in and out, like absolutely amazing. But then if I if I show him like a, a cassette tape, you know, just completely mind boggling. Yeah, so it's it, like,
0: what? <laughs>
1: yeah. It's crazy stuff.
0: <laughs> um uh bit of follow-up. Uh you remember I've talked um in a couple of episodes about that uh gig at Rock City with Paradise Lost and Sepultura. Mm-hmm that I attended back in the 90s. Apparently, uh, I got into a a very brief conversation with uh, Aaron Adie, the rhythm guitarist of Paradise Lost, and another fan on Twitter. It turns out that that gig was actually the finale of that tour. Wow. That that night at Rock City was the last gig of the tour. I I had no idea. Um, So that probably explains why it was so good. Because A, obviously they were well rehearsed, and B, you know, last night of the tour, you can imagine everybody's blowing off steam a little bit. Yep. Yeah, so, I've uh, been yeah.
1: fortunate enough to be at a couple of opening tour dates and closing tour dates and those are always special because right, you know, yeah. you know most of the time you're somewhere in the middle, especially like, you know, a lot of a lot of tours will like start on the East Coast and we, you know, they go to New York and they go to Boston first and then they come to my area and stuff like that. But the few times that I've been there for the start or the end of a tour, it's always pretty special because a lot of times too, especially at the end, they'll play songs that they don't usually play you know, they'll throw a little something extra in because it's the last night, or you get like the bands coming together on the stage and jamming together because it's the last night of the tour or something like
0: that. And funnily enough, I was just going to say exactly that. I had completely forgotten about this, but Aaron said that was the night where he joined Sepultura on stage to play a Sabbath cover.
1: That's freaking awesome. I
0: I don't even remember what the song was. I'd completely forgotten about that. But, you know, Aaron is uh, kind of like the historian, the archivist of Paradise Lost. He's well known as like, he's the guy who remembers... Everything about every gig has a collection of all the tour programs and backstage past badges and you know, the lanyards. And he just he remembers everything. If you want to know anything at all about Paradise Lost, he is about their their past, their history. He's the guy you ask. So if he says that was the gig where he got up on stage and did a Sabbath cover with Subaljura, I 100 percent believe him, right. even though I have no memory of it myself.
1: <laughs> That's funny.
0: Uh, Speaking of bands that tour a lot, um, listener Max Schumann pointed out, uh, and some of you I'm sure will be delighted to hear this, that the Scorpions are 50 years old this year. That is
1: freaking unbelievable.
0: 50 years! Yep. Oh my God! I mean, I'm not even a Scorpions fan. It's not my thing at all. It's much too sort of, you know, light Euro metal for me. But, holy crap, man, 50 years
1: yeah, you know what's funny about the Scorpions is that, uh, and I, I am a huge fan of the Scorpions. I not not a huge fan in the sense that I have this great knowledge of their catalog. But I remember, like, I think we talked about live albums on the show before. Worldwide Live is one of my favorite live albums of all oh, time. Oh, you from mentioned the that, Scorpions. Yeah. Really, really, really great album. Um, but obviously, I was familiar with their '80s and '90s stuff. And what I'm finding a lot now in doing this show and really going back and examining the back catalogs of bands that I grew up listening to is that. In a lot of ways, I'm preferring their older stuff, which in many ways is, uh, you know, heavier, different than the stuff that we grew up with that was very influenced by the 80s at the time, you know? Right, and so right. for, for the Scorpions, like the older stuff where, you know, Michael Shanker was playing with them and, and stuff like that, it, they have some really good early albums that I had never even really listened to more than in passing as I was growing up. And so, uh, so yeah, I was on a bit of a Scorpion's kick a while back and listening to... uh some of their old stuff so but yeah it's amazing that they've been around this long and are they st- well and
0: apparently they're putting out to celebrate the 50th anniversary they're putting out uh 50th anniversary reissues of uh some of their albums so if you need you know if you've been having trouble getting hold of early scorpion stuff i imagine it's the early stuff that they'll probably focus on for that yeah the uh, last you know, one i listened albums. to it's,
1: it was called in trance which is one of their early albums from 75 which right. is really oh, really early, really good
0: They'd been around 10 years by that point. Well, was it was their third studio band. album. So, in, in their
1: discography, it's, I guess it's early on in their discography, <laughs> right. but, uh, but what a freaking great album that, that album is, man. So, yeah, I'll pick up some of those reissues for sure. Cause some of that stuff is, is hard to get in, in hard copy now. I'm finding that a lot of the bands that I want to go back because when we listen to the show, I, I want to make sure I actually have whatever it is that we're listening to. Like, I, I'm sure. not, I'm not just, um, Obviously, a lot of that stuff is up on YouTube, but I like to have a copy of the album. So I picked up one that we're going to be doing for season two, which I will not mention here. But uh, I was surprised at how difficult it was to actually track it down. And, of course, I went to my local music shop and the guy was able right, to right. get me a copy of that, um, which is nice because then I could support them anyway. So. Um, but, yeah, awesome. Scorpions, man, they've been around forever.
0: Yep. Uh, another bit of um, feedback, this was you started a thread on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. In the Facebook group about uh, albums of the year. Yes. Uh, which has thrown up some very uh, interesting, you know, sort of suggestions from people and your own. Well, what were your three again?
1: So the three that I put up, and this was actually uh, something that Kenneth White had had asked, I think, back in early October, like, hey, what's everybody's album of the year so far? And so, oh, that's you right, know, now yeah. that we're in December and we're, we're sort of uh, this episode withstanding, you know, uh, doing our little break here, I put up the idea of this list just to see if there was like gift ideas that people could throw up there or albums maybe that we missed this year. And so the three that i put up uh, and i went back and looked at everything that came out this year that i've listened to were of course Armored Saint which we just did an episode on, uh new album which is called uh Inhuman Condition, i think it's called. Oh, Condition Human, that's what it's called. Condition Human is Queensrÿche's new album. But an early release this year was Europe's War of Kings, and that was one that as I look yeah. back over 2015, I was like, holy crap, I saw those guys in concert this year. They were freaking amazing, and their new album is, I would I would think, very surprising for people that maybe have not listened to them in many years now. So those are the I, three that I put up.
0: I, I, I literally don't think I've heard a Europe song since their first album. I mean, I didn't even know until you mentioned it earlier in the year. I didn't even know that they were still around still performing and recording. And yeah, the I assume the single off yep, the, the title uh, main track. single, right, title track of the album that you linked to um, on YouTube. Wow. Wow. That's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's still not sort of, you know, totally my thing, but oh my goodness, it just sounded not at all what I expected a Europe song to sound like.
1: And what's is, cool about that album is, it's it feels very deep purpley to me is what I keep sort of mm. referring it to. But their their sound, it's a little bit darker. Um, it's more sort of it just has a different feel than than a lot of their uh obviously 80s stuff that I think people are more familiar with. Final countdown being the big one that everybody of course, really yeah. knows. Um but it's a very Big and full-sounding album, and we talk about that sometimes in terms of in terms of like sonically. Like when you listen to this album with headphones on, like it's got a really good low end on it, and it and it's um it's just a great album to experience, even though it's not super heavy. Um, and definitely, some of the Europe sort of melody is is absolutely still there. And Joey Tempest, man, is still a fantastic singer, but it does have yeah. this sort of darker, sort of moodier edge to it that I really was very impressed by because I hadn't listened to a Europe album in many years and they've been making albums, especially over the last decade, they've been putting out new albums and, uh, this one is one of my favorites of the year. So those are my three.
0: Mm. Yeah. I was, I, I was really surprised. Um, and, uh, kind of doubly impressed because, uh, it's not uncommon for those sort of, uh, euro bands if you like to sort of come out and say oh you know we we've gone a bit darker we've made something a bit heavier this time around and a lot of the time you listen to it and it's not really you know it's it's kind of they've just thrown in a few minor chords and but other than that it's basically the same as it ever was but this genuinely like if you hadn't told me i don't think i even would have recognized joey tempest's voice if you hadn't told me that was europe and i'd just listened to it i'd be like you know who's that i would have thought well either thought that it was like a modern Euro band hearkening back to the days of Sabbath and purple, or that it was a record from those days.
1: <laughs> right. And when you look at Joey Tempest now, you know, gone is the, the, uh, blonde perm that he had in the mid eighties. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's got short, shorter, dark hair now and stuff like that, but he's aged pretty well, man. Like I said, I oh, saw yeah. them in, yeah, uh, yeah. I saw them at a, uh, at the Mohegan Sun casino in, in Connecticut out here. And, they still sound amazing, and it's pretty much the core group of guys that have been around for all those years, like John Norm, the guitar player, is there, and uh, just a really, really good group, and I'm glad I got to see them.
0: Scandinavian jeans, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah look they're, at they're our, kind of timeless. Look at our ha. Look at our ha they're like, <laughs> yeah, Exactly. They're, they're approaching 50, and they still look like mm-hmm. models. It's it's insane.
1: <laughs> yes, it's, it's, um, it's inspiring and depressing at the same time.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, in sadder news Scott Weiland of Stone Temple Pilots as we record this is just a few days after his death was announced um, I was never a big STP fan but I liked him and I liked you know sort of the band's attitude I wasn't a huge fan of their music but I liked them and I I, I know many many people who were huge fans of Stone Temple Pilots um, and Lane Staley of course, also, you know, many years ago now, Alison Chainsinger, uh, once said that Scott Weiland, that he basically copied his vocal stylings from Scott Weiland. Um, And yeah, it's, you know, Stuntable Pilots were, they were successful, but they were never as huge as bands like Alison Chains or Soundgarden or obviously Nirvana. Uh, And yet so many bands in that scene, would if you ask them they would say that stone temple pilots and scott were like some of their favorite bands and musicians um so yeah what a loss
1: yeah that's that's uh i would be interested to maybe go back and do at some point an episode on stone temple pilots because i was never a huge fan of them either i remember when core came out and that was back in 92 which was uh my freshman year of college so it came out in the fall of 92 and it was the sex type thing song that was the big song over here that they played incessantly it was a video on MTV it was on every rock radio station like every 15 minutes at the time it was a huge thing for them over here and uh and that song was okay but it it wasn't i was never huge into them uh, although i will say that their third album which is tiny music songs from the vatican gift shop is an album that to this day I still have and will listen to on occasion. And I feel like it's their best, for me, it's their, their best album. And that's not a heavy album at all. It's a very much a, uh, again, I listen to that one mostly because of the sound, because I think the way that they recorded that album was in like, they rented a house or something and they had like a this wide open studio type of feel to it. I'll have to go back and, and research that album. But the way that they recorded it and the sound of that album is something that I still uh, really dig. And that's the one that has Lady Picture Show, uh, tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart. So those were pretty big songs for them over here. And that was really the last time. And that was in 96. That was really the last time, time that I was sort of into them. But I picked up the first Velvet Revolver album when Wyland was singing for them. And that was the, the band that he did with Slash. And, uh, and that was pretty good. And so I, I kind of always... Followed his career, even though I was never a humongous fan of his. Mm-hmm. But it's also one of those things where you could see this. This surprised no one. It it disappointed and saddened many, but it did not surprise. Um, right, you know, people weren't like, "Oh my God, not that guy!" Like it. It was kind of like, "Oh wow, that's unfortunate." You know, that's something that I think a lot of us were worried about, just having seen yeah, his struggles yeah. over the years, because he he basically you know, um, ran his tenure with different bands into the ground because of his substance abuse problems.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, similar again to, uh, Lane Staley Mm -hmm. when, you know, when, when he died, it was, it was horrible, but nobody was surprised. Right. Unfortunately, you know, I wish we had been.
1: I'm kind of bummed that I never got to see them. I, I fortunately, I did get to see Alice in Chains live, but I never got to see Stone Temple Pilots live. Oh, right. Um, To my knowledge, I don't think I ever saw them live.
0: Anyway, so uh, yeah, sad news, but the music goes on. Yeah, and Um, to go
1: back to your thread real quick, if people haven't checked it out yet, go to the Facebook page. There is the albums of the year thread, and a bunch of our listeners have put in some really good albums, half of which I'll tell you right now, I haven't even heard of. So I've been checking them out, (laughs) which is awesome, right? Yeah.
0: Well, and I want to specifically thank listener Lenny Reed for um, putting a band. I assume it's pronounced Ohms. I'm looking
1: at it right now. Yeah, it looks like
0: Ohms. H They're a British doom post-metal band, clearly quite influenced by Neurosis. Um, And I am thoroughly currently enjoying. They've only released like one EP and one album so far, but I am really, really digging that. So if... You are the kind of listener who's sort of more into my thing, as it were. You really should check this band out. Very, very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, say, doomy post-metal stuff.
1: And Kenneth White put a band in there called So Hideous, and the track he put in there, the album is uh, Laura Steen, I believe, and they're like this symphonic black metal sort of thing. Right, a 30-piece yeah. orchestra with a three-piece metal band in front of it, and... uh pretty interesting. I've been checking out a few of their tracks. So yeah, some great suggestions in there if you're looking for last minute gifts for your uh, favorite metal fan, or if you're listening to this after the holidays and have gotten some gift cards or are looking to uh, pick up some new music. I think
0: that's more likely because I don't think I'm going to, I don't think this will go live in time for people to buy gifts, to be honest.
1: <laughs> well, if you're like me, then you'll be shopping on Christmas Eve. That's, oh, that's okay. how I do it. <laughs> that's, that's
0: down uh, at the gas station. <laughs> I am, yeah. I am a
1: last minute Johnny when it comes to a lot of that stuff. So, uh, but there's some great suggestions in there already and the thread's only been live for a couple of days. So I would imagine yep. it will be pretty, uh, pretty big by the time that people hear this show.
0: And that is at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. Yep. It's a completely open group. You have to apply for membership because of Facebook's stupid rules but it's open to everyone just go to the page you know hit request to join and we'll approve you as soon as we see it
1: absolutely and it's an awesome group like it, what's great is like checking in there every few days and seeing a new thread go up great discussions go up and just a good uh good bunch of metal fans having a lot of great discussion
0: absolutely um and uh on that note actually one more thing about that and that is the uh the question of how we exactly we're going to do season 2 Uh, once again, the, much as we said on the, um, last video show that we did, the votes are so far overwhelmingly in favor of us taking a bit of time, basically, you know, leaving a longer gap between episodes so that we can incorporate feedback from the previous episode, listener feedback into, you know, the next episode so that people have a bit longer to listen to albums before we talk about them. And yeah, just so that, you know, as I've said before, that like makes things a bit more sane for us as well. Um, but the, that is overwhelmingly the votes that we've had in so far. So if you disagree, uh, let us know <laughs> quickly, because uh, if we don't get, you know, a sort of equal surge in the opposite direction soon, then I'm pretty sure that that is how we're going to do season two.
1: Yeah, and and so you know having the episodes come out like every other week or something like that or, or every few weeks I think is is uh something that like you said will give people a chance to listen to the albums and I think part of that is because like people want to spend some time with these albums and they want to talk right. about it and the discussion that's come up around a lot of the episodes uh especially like post episode has been fantastic so I'm looking forward to that in season 2 and I don't know about you but I have already compiled a list of strong contenders for season two for me in terms of albums uh, that I add to like daily.
0: Yeah. No, I said last time that I've, I already started to put a list of like, okay, well I've got to put these into volume two. Uh, and it is already too big. It's, there's no way we could actually cover all of these. Even if every single episode was, you know, my choice there's still too many, <laughs>
2: so. which
0: is
1: kind of awesome, right? Because that means that yeah, we're yeah. we're not going to run out of awesome albums oh, to talk God, about. No, yeah,
0: no, no, no chance of that. No, we've got like you know, I mean, let's, you know, as we've said before, you and I are not young men, no. and uh, but even then, you know, we started getting into metal say twenty years after metal was essentially invented, sure, you know, by bands like Sabbath and the Scorpions and Deep Purple. And that sort of movement coalescing into heavy metal, uh, in the late sixties. And, uh, so, you know, we were already 20 years too late and yet it was only 20 years. So we've then had the last 35 years or thereabouts (laughs) to, uh, you know, of music to listen to, to choose from as well. So, you know, and that's the stuff that obviously that we've grown up with and has you know, most of the time, your favorite albums are the ones that you grew up with, well, or that you listened to when you were sort of pre thirty years old. Totally, um, dude.
1: And what's happening for me now is I am filling in the gaps in my of that era for me. In your because, chronology, yeah, right, exactly. Right. For me, like it's you know, eighties into early nineties was my period of music that I will forever be. It's in my DNA. And so right, now, and it's going back- mid nineties for me, yeah. Now going back to. The same period of time, but bands that I did not spend a lot of time with, I'm just discovered like The one that immediately comes to mind, and I mentioned this last time, is Merciful Fate. Like That's a band mm. that was there the whole time alongside a lot of these other bands that I was really into and really um, familiar with their discography. And after seeing King Diamond in concert, I'm going back and listening to those early Merciful Fate albums, and I freaking love them. I just picked up Don't Break the Oath at my local music store. Uh, a little while ago, which I think is like their second album. Um, But I've been totally going back and listening to old school Merciful Fate. And that's a great example of a band that the first time around, I didn't really spend a lot of time with them. But now I like see how their influence has hit other bands of that era and stuff. So not only am I learning new stuff from the listeners of the show, from doing the show with you and and picking up bands I'd never heard of, but I'm going back and visiting bands that I only had a passing familiarity with. And it's been
0: awesome yeah awesome all right well and on that note then let's uh start talking about this album before we do i just want to quickly remind people we are supported entirely by listeners so in this season of giving why not go to our patreon at patreon.com slash thrash it out and uh yeah you know help us out help support the show uh and help keep us all going because uh we I think so far the with volume one, we have uh, just covered basically our costs for things like, you know, the website hosting and stuff like that. And that's literally, that's all we've covered. So, um, you know, we, we do need your help. <laughs> we would certainly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if you can chuck us a dollar an episode, that would be very much appreciated.
1: Totally appreciated. I'm still recording our Skype conversations on a headset that i've had for about 10 years i actually like it so i went out and got the the uh earphone pads so if we you know if we do more than break even a season like all the money goes right back into producing oh, the sure. show yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you know making the show and stuff like that and uh
0: there you go help it, brian get a new headset yeah exactly
1: right <laughs> and uh but the fact that people supported us enough to cover the cost of this first season like that's that's so awesome oh, That's because when yeah, we started awesome. this like we just anticipated Everything was coming out of pocket anyway. So, and, and, you know, we're doing it because we love talking about music. So, thank you to everybody who supported us. That was
0: awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Trans Siberian Orchestra. I had literally never heard of them until you said, How about we do this album for a Christmas show? I love it. So, tell me about this band.
1: So, this band is super interesting uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was formed in 1996 by. Paul O'Neill, who was a producer, uh, John Oliva and Al Petrelli were sort of the, the co-ones, and Robert Kinkle. Now the all of those guys were involved with a band called Sabotage, which you have probably heard of. Uh Sabotage was in a band that was known for they're sort of a prog metal band, and they were known for doing some pretty interesting concept albums like Gutter Ballet is probably Sabotage's one of their most well-known albums, um, Hall of the Mountain King is another one, uh, Dead Winter Dead. There, So they were, and John Oliva is sort of the main songwriter behind that and is just an absolutely brilliant composer and musician and vocalist. And I, I think I was never huge into Sabotage, although I did have Gutter Ballet was one of the albums that I had you know, growing up. This is another band that I'm going to go back and spend a little bit more time with. But um, I believe that he was their lead vocalist as well to begin with. And then he sort of left that role for a while and has since come back to it. But in any case, this project, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, was sort of a side project that they all got involved in in 1996. And they they do a lot of different things, but they have done a, a trilogy of uh, Christmas albums. They've also done albums that are influenced by Beethoven and, and stuff like that. And so they have this... Um, Reputation for being a very well-polished and sort of uh, just really well-composed group of musicians that takes on puts their take on a lot of these classic you know songs and and uh, sort of classical you know hits and stuff like that. And so this album was the first album, the album that we're going to talk about today, which is called Christmas Eve and Other Stories. And uh, when this first came out in '96, it hit big because of one particular song that came off of it, which is called Christmas Eve Sarajevo 1224, which is the eighth track on this album. And it hit for two reasons. Number one, because it was a song that had actually been on the 1995 album Dead Winter Dead from Sabotage. So Sabotage fans knew this particular song, but also because it it came out around the holidays and it had a video on MTV and it is sort of a rousing... Uh, instrumental. That's you know, part classical and part metal, and so it was something that really made people pay attention at the time. And it was definitely the song that got me to pay attention to these guys. So I picked up this album, and it has become a staple of my Christmas listening every year. It's like as soon as the the calendar turns over to December, I throw in Trans Siberian Orchestra, and, <laughs> and around this time of year they tour for like the fall into the end of December this is their time of year where they really get out and do a lot of touring because they are, they've done non Christmas stuff and are known for that as well. But their Christmas stuff I think is what they're most known for. And so at this time of year, they're touring, they just came through here and unfortunately I didn't get to see them, but I have seen them once before in concert. And it's one of the few sort of rock shows that my wife accompanied me to and really enjoyed because she is not a metal fan at all. And so, uh, so they're amazing live, and, and they've had a lot of different musicians play with them over the years, and I think at one point they actually had two uh, touring units, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. I might be wrong about that, but they've had different uh, people come through it, and one of the people that is a founding member of Trans-Siberian Orchestra is Al Petrelli. Now, Al Petrelli not only played with uh, Sabotage, but he played with Alice Cooper, he played with Asia and he played with Megadeth. He was the guitar player on the album The World Needs a Hero and he was actually the guy that came in and replaced Marty Friedman in Megadeth. He had the ah. he had the ridiculous chore of coming in and trying to, you know, be the next guy up after Marty Friedman who's like the most beloved guitar player in Megadeth history. And so I always dug him and I remember when he came in to Megadeth I you know, tried to learn everything I could about about him, and he is an amazingly talented musician, but if you ever see him in an interview, and I'm going to give you a link to put in the show notes, he's a guy who you see him talk for five minutes about music, and you'll become just the biggest fan of. He just loves writing music, loves playing music, loves you know performing in front of crowds and stuff like that. Really cool, old-school sort of New York guy, that um, there's a great interview that I will put a link to about Trans Siberian Orchestra that he was where he was interviewed out on tour and it's fantastic. So the Petrelli factor is something that makes me love this band. The fact that it's this uh, metal band sabotage that has this sort of you know orchestral side project going on, and the fact that they love to do sort of concept albums. And the the album that we're talking about today, uh, Christmas Eve and Other Stories, is in fact. A concept album, even though at first glance someone might not realize that, um, and we'll talk about sort of the story of that as we sort of go along but but yeah, this album is um, is the one that introduced me to this band, and I think probably the one that they're most well known for, although they've gone on to do other albums since then and and some of the people and I was just searching for it, I believe uh, that when I went to see them in concert, um, Alex Skolnick from Testament was playing for them. Oh wow! He was yeah actually
0: yeah that that doesn't surprise me thinking about actually uh, thinking about it for more than a second. I can see Skolnick fitting into a band like this well, and when well, I saw cause... him,
1: his hair was shorter he had it was at, it was post his first round with testament, and right. I think it was at the time where they were doing two touring companies of uh of this, and so he was part of the East Coast group of t s o that was coming out, and I just remember seeing him up on stage with a tux and playing these, you know, Christmassy songs and stuff like that, but loving it. And just like explaining to my wife, like, that's the dude from Testament. And she's like, who's Testament? You know,
0: Scott <laughs> well, Sk- Skolnick has always been the more sort of classically inclined uh, one in Testament, hasn't he? You know, he's always the one who will start talking about classical music- musicians if you give him half a chance. So, Absolutely. Yeah, he
1: I- has a jazz trio. If you've never right, heard of right. them, it's called the Alex Skolnick Trio, which you should totally check out. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so he he is his interests go well beyond the brand of music that Testament plays for sure.
0: The the Alpitrolli interview about Transparent Orchestra that you mentioned, you sent that to me and I watched it uh, a few days ago. And yeah, it is I mean it's not it's not a great interview in that it'll, you know, sort of make have you falling about laughing or whatever. But he just comes across as a really good, fairly grounded guy, actually. You know, just a straight up Clearly just loves the music, loves playing, uh, you know, sounds like he realizes that he's a fortunate guy to make a living doing this sort of thing. And yeah, just, you know, comes across as a really, really good dude.
1: And there's a couple points in that interview, and the the questions are sort of straight ahead interview questions that he gets asked there, but there's a couple times during the interview where you start to see the breadth of knowledge that he has of music theory. And stuff like that, which is really cool. And he does it. he never gets uh it's very natural in the conversation. Like he's not snobby about it and he's not Right, and he's not showing off, exactly. but he clearly
0: knows his stuff. He is not totally. some some meathead guitarist from, you know, wherever who who knows nothing and just sort of plays his guitar and doesn't give a shit yeah he clearly is a very very smart guy
1: and if you have listened to his stuff with megadeth and or you have listened to any of his other stuff before like the solos that are present and this is not a solo heavy album this this tso album but the parts where he is um sort of allowed to sort of play and add his own bits of style to like you can you can he has a distinct style i think that you'll hear if you if you have um listened to some of his other stuff before so it's just it's always cool to me when you like here's a guy who if you only knew him through his time with Megadeth you'd be like oh yeah I remember that dude who played on a Megadeth album for one album right and that's it right and then you delve into a little bit of this guy's history and that's kind of one of the things that I love doing now is just seeing like where these guys ended up uh you know where this particular bass player guitar player or drummer who they've played with like when we did the Dio album and we're talking about Vinnie Apice, and the bands that he's played with and and just the 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 breadth of work that he's put in over the years like there's a lot right. of his pedigree yeah just the web of like metal and rock and and how it connects in ways that you would never think that it would and lead you to go check out this or that or the other thing like even now as you just said you know we've been listening to metal for you know 30 years now and we're just we've just scratched the surface There's so much other stuff for us to go check out. And so TSO is kind of one of those cool things where if you haven't heard of them, um, you probably see advertisements for them over here in the States this time of year because they tour heavily. And I guarantee you, if you grew up in the MTV era, that you have seen the Christmas Eve Sarajevo video for sure. Is that
0: how you heard of them? Because I was wondering about that, because they don't seem to be the sort of band that would get a lot of radio play.
1: (laughs) When I first heard of them, I thought they were... I was like who is Trans-Siberian Orchestra? Like I thought they were an actual orchestra. Like I was like mm-hmm. where are the are these is this thing a metal orchestra that I from another part of the world that I've just never heard of. I had no idea that we were talking about guys from Sabotage, a band that I listened to at the time. You know, and we didn't have Wikipedia, so it's not like I could just jump on and a lot of times they were in a block of videos where it wasn't like the DJ was coming on afterwards or the VJ and saying, and those were the guys from Sabotage who are playing Transylvania right. <laughs> so yeah. it was literally seeing that video and being like, that's freaking awesome. Like who oh, are these right. guys? And then when I initially picked up the album, I was almost a little disappointed because I thought that that song was indicative of what the whole of thing the whole was. Album. So I right. just thought, oh, I'm going to pick up an album of these sort of uh, metal takes on classical music. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds really awesome. So I picked it up. And while there certainly is that on this album, that is not at all what this album is. And so so it took me a little while to wrap my head around what these guys were doing. But this is an album that gets better with every listen. And I've been listening to it. I I actually have the same copy of the CD from when I originally bought it. It's one of the few CDs that oh, wow. in the great purges over the past 20 years has not been <laughs> thrown out. and probably because it's one of those like oh I got to listen to them at Christmas time like I you know and when I've sold off parts of my collection and stuff like that like it's been one that has stayed um so yeah so it was a thing where I did get get introduced to them from MTV and from that particular song, which we can put a link to that video in the show notes. And I guarantee sure. three quarters of the people that listen will be like, oh yeah, I've seen that, you know, well, on MTV.
0: You've got to wonder if most of their sort of business for these big tours that they do comes from word of mouth, because now, of course, MTV famously don't play music videos. Uh, and the only channels that do play music videos are all basically request. Nobody's going to request, <laughs> you know, a video by this band sure. on one of those channels. so. Uh, yeah. You know, do they make it onto like local news and local radio, or is it all word of mouth? It's because uh, it sounds like they play, you know, massive concerts to hundreds of thousands of people over the world. Yeah, let and, me give you some numbers. Like, how do people hear about this stuff? You know, it's like this parallel world, exactly. Of soft rock fans.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're basically I, in in on the Wikipedia page. It says that their music has been described as Pink Floyd meets Yes and the Who at Radio City Music Hall. And that's not a bad (laughs) way to describe them. Um, They have sold more than 10 million albums as a band, which is pretty freaking amazing. Yep, They have sold more than 10 million concert tickets and they have toured for years and years and years and years. Um, They played in front of... uh, It says in 2013, TSO kicked off their European tour with a performance on New Year's Eve 2013 in front of 1 million fans at Berlin's Brandenburg Gate. So oh wow, right. Just to give you an idea like they are uh, a lot of it I still think probably is word of mouth from fans from our generation but you'll see as I mentioned like I just saw uh, an ad for their concert on television the other day because they recently came through uh, this right. part of the country and so they do they do get advertised pretty heavily around this time of year because they are a family show. Like you uh, this is a show that I will definitely be taking my kids to at some point in time. And when you go to the concerts, when I took my wife years ago, a lot of family there that this is sort of a, a, a safe show for you to take your kids to, Sure, you yeah, know? And yeah. so nobody's going
0: to be biting the heads off a chicken or anything on stage. Right. And yet the
1: guitar player from Megadeth is up there and the guitar player <laughs> yeah. from Sabotage and the guitar player from Testament. And so like, it has that, it has enough of that hook to right. fans of our ilk that, it's kind of this cool thing that you can also share with your family. Or, you know, when, um, when I have the family over on Christmas, I will inevitably at some point during the day put this album in. And while my wife will flinch a little bit as soon as some of the harder elements come on to that, you know, it's not <laughs> one that the family is like, oh, turn that off. Like, it still has that Christmas vibe enough to right. keep everybody sort of locked into it. Um, when they are listening well, and especially to-
0: with all the callbacks to like Christmas carols and classical pieces that we'll talk about when we go track by track totally. but my- I was thinking the same thing like this you know I'll b- be up front this is not really my thing at all but at the same time if you were to put it on I would not at all mind do you know what I mean sure. I wouldn't turn it off I wouldn't go oh god not this again it's perfectly fine you know uh sort of background music if you like i'm not sure i'd want to necessarily sit although i gather their live shows apparently are amazing but you know i'm not sure i'd want to sit and just listen to the album and do nothing else like i would quite happily with a lot of my favorite metal albums but yeah this is it's not bad in any way it's just you know not really my thing but i would I'd certainly rather listen to this than a CD of bloody Christmas carols. Well, or that's, that's exactly it, you know? right. And, and don't
1: you often find yourself at this time oh God, of yeah. year listening to music that you wouldn't normally listen to, right? And yeah, there inevitably yeah, yeah. are probably a handful of of uh, Christmas carols and Christmas songs that you um, you would say that you actually like, and then there's a lot of ones yeah. that you sort of suffer through well, during this particular time of year because that's what's on everybody's radio, and and every time you get yeah. together with the family and that kind of stuff. And so it's kind of cool to have. Something that's Something a little in that bit little, more in our wheelhouse yeah, that we can throw yeah. on and say, okay, well, if we're going to listen to Christmas songs, why don't we listen to this? <laughs> and so, I
0: uh, I have an Enya Christmas album that I uh, you know sometimes do uh, that with. Um, I uh, I used to work at a pre-press bureau many many years ago, and the boss there was one of those guys who, like, as the as the November days yep. tick away, he's rubbing his hands waiting for the 1st of December, because that's his excuse to then start wearing Christmas jumpers sure, and put Christmas music on the office CD player, that sort of thing. And, oh my God, and yeah, he did put on some terrible, terrible Christmas music CDs that we used to have to grin and bear, because he's the boss, you know, uh, for, yeah, weeks and weeks on the run up to Christmas. And yes, this is what I was thinking of. I would absolutely much rather listen to this than most of that stuff <laughs> right it's like a
1: preemptive strike you could bring this in and be like hey why don't we throw this in today and and uh yeah. and check this out and and this is an album where pretty much when december 1st hits this gets a lot of play in my car you right. know on my on my uh you know my phone and stuff like that over the course of the month or so uh, because it it is a good one this one and the you mentioned the enya album for me the other Christmas album that I put uh, gets a lot of play this time of year for me is the Squirrel Nut Zippers uh, Christmas album, which is more of like a swing sort of big band right. uh, sort of thing. So those those two, these are my two ones that I pull out when the family's together. Of like, okay, well let's let's get these into the mix. So um, I just want
0: to quickly uh, mention as an aside, you said like how you know strange it is that members of Megadeth, Testament, and sabotage you know, play in a band that's so very very different um, that you also really enjoy. And there's a parallel there with, and this is nothing to do with this band, but there's a parallel there with uh, most metal fans, I'm sure, will be familiar with the band Frontline Assembly, uh, an industrial band who were kind of big in the early 90s, you know, when industrial was really taking off. Um, and, And I like Frontline Assembly. You know, I'm not the biggest fan, but I like them just fine. I will certainly get up and bang my head to them on the dance floor, happily listen to their stuff. But many, many years ago, they... They also do a lot of side projects. And one of those side projects is a project called Delirium, which I guarantee you have heard of, even if you don't realize, because they have had some enormous pop hits. But what they specialize in is making sort of uh, melancholy pop songs, which are kind of delicate and a bit dancey and they, have, they switch out female singers constantly. They have loads and loads of female singers doing a track each per album, that sort of thing. Um, their most famous track is a track called Silence. Sarah McLachlan sang on it. Uh, you may even have heard it and just assumed it was a Sarah McLachlan track, but it's it, right. not. It's a Delirium <laughs> track. Um, and and the Delirium is by far the most successful thing that these guys have ever done. It is way more successful than Frontline Assembly ever was. And I really like it. And it is... I mean, other than the fact that it's sort of like, you know, they're kind of slightly saddish songs. Other than that, it is not at all the sort of thing most people would assume that I like. But I really, really like Delirium. Um, and it is so different, so very different to the stuff they do in Frontline Assembly. It's kind of amazing to think. I mean, I think it's only one of the guys now who's in Frontline Assembly. But even so, it's kind of amazing to think that these two so such different things can come out of the same musicians, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, as as sort of creative people or writers or whatever, like, y- you know that there are times that you're going to write something that's a little bit different than what people would consider to be your wheelhouse. Just to I sort of, that all the time, yeah. yeah you, you know <laughs> what I mean? Just to sort of stretch your stretch your muscles and, and try something different. And, you know, whether it's a palate cleanser or whether it's you sort of uh, forging into a new area that you haven't written about before and... I think when it comes to music, a lot of times, you know, we as fans tend to want to lock that person into what we know them best as. Like, this is this is the type of music that this person does, and this is what their their sort of role in, in the music that I love is. And it's kind of cool to see them doing different things and being mm-hmm. a part of projects that are very different than what maybe they're most well-known for. And, and certainly over the years, you know, TSO has had a lot of uh, great musicians come through there, but the core of them has kind of you know, remain the same from a from a songwriting and recording standpoint. They put out six albums. They actually just released a new album in November of 2015. So it literally right. just came out. It's called Letters from the Labyrinth. And that's a good example of an album that is not a concept album and not a Christmas album. So it's not like they just do uh this kind of stuff. This was the one that came out first and this is the one they're they're probably most well known for, but they do uh, plenty of different things. And so if you right. want to check out a little bit something different from Trans-Siberian Orchestra, they, it just came out. That album, Letters from the Labyrinth, that came out this year, reached number seven on the Billboard 200 in the States and number one wow. on the rock, uh, on the top rock albums chart. So wow. they wow. are very successful in what they do. This was their first new album since 2009. And even though they've continued to tour and continue to do all this stuff, but they are... They sell when they put out a new album. This album that we're going to talk about today, "Christmas Eve and Other Stories," went triple platinum, uh, and is the ninth best-selling Christmas album of all time in the states. Oh wow! So it is. They are very successful <laughs> in both the Christmas genre and the metal genre in general. So they they've been around for since '96, so almost 20 years. I would imagine in 2016. Which I really hope is the case that for their 20 year anniversary, we'll get like a big tour and that kind of stuff. And that is one that I would love to take my kids to. So, 2016. I'm almost
0: surprised that they didn't wait until 2016 to release the new album. You know, if it's been six years anyway, why not yeah. wait six and a half years and release it in your 20th anniversary year?
1: Well, if I remember correctly, even with the Christmas show that we saw them at, uh, Back in the day, like they're mixing in songs from their other albums as well, so maybe it was just a case of wanting to get the new material out there, get used to playing it in, uh, oh, maybe. in in live venues and stuff like that, and then hopefully next year we'll bring a big tour, which I will absolutely go and see them on. So, so yeah, pretty successful in what they're doing, even though they're a band that maybe a lot of hardcore metal fans just aren't that familiar with. So,
0: right, uh, right. So uh, this album is one hour and three minutes long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has a lot of tracks. Like only a couple of those tracks are over six minutes. Most of them are sub four minutes. There's just a lot of them.
1: Yes. And I would say overall, this album is uh, a mix of original music, but also sort of medleys of different mm. Christmas carols. And you'll see yes. like e- even some of the original songs, you'll see there'll be uh, a part of the song where they weave in you know a melody, or they weave in a chunk of a Christmas carol that you're very familiar with. So even when they sort of stray from um, from what something that sounds familiar to you, they they sort of come back to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I've I've made lots of notes about those because <laughs> I recognise most of those bits. Go, oh, hang on a second.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the so um, the group the core group of recording artists on this one uh robert kinkle from sabotage piano and keyboards johnny lee middleton who i believe played bass for sabotage plays bass here john oliva plays piano keyboards bass paul o'neill who is the producer plays some rhythm guitars al petrelli uh lead rhythm and bass guitars jeff plate drums and chris cafferty uh caffery additional guitars on christmas eve sarajevo he obviously played with sabotage so so they're the right. core group but then there's a whole orchestra there's a whole chorus if you go to the wikipedia page you'll see all the list of artists that are um that are part of this album because there are a lot of people who who created this album together
0: so let's get into it first track uh, a suitably bombastic intro it's called an angel came down
2: From God to find out the worth of everything that his children had done since that winter night the birth of his son.
1: Yeah, and this uh, this thing, I don't know if people are gonna be able to see this because I, I've looked for liner notes online to this, but if you go to there's a site called Dark Lyrics that has lyrics of all different albums and stuff like that. Um there in the liner notes of this album is the actual story that's being told through each one of these songs. And in addition to the lyrics, of
0: which isn't song, entirely within the lyrics. Yeah, I correct. noticed that.
1: Yeah. So w- in addition to the lyrics, there is because the, the, um, this first song, An Angel Came Down, is basically about God sending an angel down to earth to say, I want you to find the thing that like best represents Christmas and best represents what. What has happened in the world until this point in time and so he he sends this angel down to earth and that's sort of the beginning of the story but the wraparound meta story of this album is that there is a man who walks into a bar on christmas eve and he sits down next to a stranger and the stranger starts to tell him a story and he's telling him a story of the time that God sent this angel down to earth to find sort of the Christmas spirit and the the um the thing that best represents everything good that has been done in the name of Christmas and that's sort of what what the setup is for that. So this first song an angel came down is sort of a medley of oh holy night and some other stuff as well and is about the angel coming down to begin that search.
0: Yeah, and it is I mean like I said it is bombastic and we've yep. we've talked on this show about first tracks making a sort of statement of intent for an album and this this really does that uh, <laughs> because it's almost a lot of this album and this track you know is a good example of it uh sort of felt like it had a real kind of jim steinman style quality of production yep do you know what i mean like if i if the lead singer here had been meatloaf i would not bat an eyelid
1: that's a fantastic comparison because it really is. That's probably a better comparison than than how I described it earlier. As as their music, they are very much a rock opera, arena yeah. sort of experience. And this, and you feel that especially with some of the keyboard lines that run through some of these songs. Like it's just this very sort of big stage production sort of feel to it. And that that meatloaf comparison is pretty much perfect.
0: Yeah. Well, and I had a note on this. Uh, saying like, why isn't the keyboard solo a guitar solo? Because it would, it would sound much better. And then of course I remembered because the keyboard player is one of the founders and songwriters. Absolutely. So, yep. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and there's a few
1: points on the album where you'd be like, oh, okay, yep. I see that he took the lead there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, which goes back to what I talked about before. Not a guitar solo heavy album, but there no. are flashes where, you know, Al gets to sort of let loose a little bit. So yeah, so the angel comes down. That, that's the That's the first song. Uh, The second song is O Come All Ye Faithful slash O Holy Night, which is an instrumental. And so there, there is definitely a mix of uh, instrumentals and songs with lyrics. The,
0: there are quite a few short instrumentals yep. on this track, yeah. Um, th- the, and this one does have a guitar solo. Yes, and um, it, it's not that interesting, but at least it's it's also not a widdly widdly widdly, you know, fret wanking solo. It is sort of emotional, and there's some intent in there, and it certainly helps the whole thing start to sound a bit more, a bit more closer to metal.
1: Absolutely, and it has this great piano opening and closing and what I love is that uh as as the song kind of winds to a close, there's this sort of you know um climax of the of the guitar sort of really driving home the piano line, and then everything sort of cuts out except for the last note that Petrelli's holding on the guitar, and the piano line comes back in, and that's how the 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 song sort of closes, and the the last 30 seconds of the song is this pretty rousing emotional sort of crescendo which I really really like and you can feel um that emotion in the song which I think is really cool because you know with a lot of this stuff because they're mixing in classic christmas carols that you would know and stuff like that like they they it could be flat and one of the things right. that I think you can't say about this album uh, although maybe you feel differently is that it's not flat like there is there is a passion with which even the tried and true christmas caroly stuff is being played that i really enjoy and i think that that this is one of the places especially towards the end of the song where i feel like you can sort of feel al patrelli in there which is really kind of cool
0: no i i completely agree this is a classic example of something that like i said it's not really it's not really my thing but i can absolutely i can respect it because i can tell that there is sort of purpose and intent and emotion behind it and no it is absolutely not flat just in the sort of sonic landscape of it you know the sh- the sound shape is lots of peaks and valleys yes you know, lots of dynamics you hear me say that word a lot on this show but it's so important so important um and this is really really a dynamic album it goes from full-on yeah sort of quasi-orchestral bombast into you know nothing but a piano and a children's choir singing at points you know or an acoustic guitar by itself that sort of thing um, so yeah, it really does go up and down. It's not flat at all.
1: Yeah, so th- so this one sort of begins and ends with a nice sort of piano uh, line, and then you get into song three, which is definitely a different feel from the first two songs, and it's called A Star to Follow, and it is uh, this sort of layered chorus. God rest ye merry gentlemen God rest ye merry gentlemen
2: God bless these skies. Start to follow and the sky has started to fall. God bless these skies. Start to follow
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I like the round, I mean, speaking of crescendos, I like the round robin choral section at the start yes, of this. Yes, um, very cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, something that you do get a lot with Christmas carols and with choral singing, and it's well put together, it sounds great. But it does, it has a crescendo, it builds up to something powerful. Uh, and then I, it felt a bit wasted. Like, it just drops out, and then you get this almost a cappella Children's choir, which is very Twee. <laughs> um and it I don't know, it just felt like I wanted more. You know, they they spent all this time and energy building this thing up with the round robin and then and then it just dissipated without a real climax.
1: I actually agree with you on on this song. I it would have I think maybe been more interesting if it was flipped. If it started with Right the right. you know, the kids chorus, the chorus of children and then Really kicked in with this layered, you know, um, well, as which you said, the round robin chorus because you've got parts of God Ye Mary Gentleman in there, and you yeah. but you've got these other things in there too, looking for a star to follow, and and it does have this great sense of building, and then it like well, and it does cuts essentially out-
0: do that because you yeah. get the children's choir, but then that goes into another... It ends with another round-robin crescendo, and that does build yes. to something, and that has a satisfying ending to the song. It's just kind of...
1: But it's that first got, act of the song that... Yeah, yeah just
0: yep. doesn't quite fit, you know. But those, Which is a shame, because, as I say, the actual thing itself, I think, is really good.
1: Right, that the central... The core of that with the, with the round-robin chorus is really kind of cool, and very different from songs one and two. Um,
0: yes. One thing that did not confuse me as such, but that I just sort of wondered about was why this song was right at the start of the album. Sure. Because, like, you know, the story is about convincing an angel or an angel convincing God or whatever, you know, that man is capable of goodness at Christmas and all that sort of thing. And this song is all about how great Christmas is and how we're all wonderful to one another at Christmas and everybody has a great time at Christmas. Um, And you kind of... I I'd expect that to be towards the end. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's it just feels really weird having it so early in the album. It's the sort of sentiment in the song, not musically, but the sentiment in the song is one that I would expect to come towards the end. You know, it's the end of Christmas Carol. It's the end of Wonderful Life. Or, you know, sure. It's, it's but it's I think... the bit where everybody where you everybody realizes how wonderful. Yeah, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year and all that.
1: Yeah, but I think what – and maybe this is just the fiction in my head that I sort of build around this album because there, there is – when we get to the last act of the album, that's to, to me the strongest part of the entire story. And so here you almost see the angel is traveling around the world and seeing the general sort of – um trappings of of the holiday season if you will and and as you said that you know that it's a wonderful life stuff and the the fact that everybody's nice to them this time of year and i think part of the message in that is that you know this is the superficial part of Christmas, right? It's the part that we're all nice to each other because it's Christmas. We're all nice to each other because uh it's this time of year. It's the holiday season and and people, you know, um will stop and say hello to each other on the street and everybody wishes each other a happy holidays and all this kind of stuff. And so it's almost like I see the angel sort of looking through the first layer of that and being like, Yep, I see all the usual stuff that this happens, you know, this time of year. And then as you get farther into the album he's looking for that one thing
0: he's looking right, for that deeper. one ex-
1: exactly he's looking for that one thing that that goes a little bit deeper so so that in my head is sort of um, how
0: no maybe you're right i mean i i have obviously i've listened to this album you know several times now in the run up to the show but i haven't had the sort of you know years and years of listening to the you have so actually yeah now that you think now that you say that yeah you're probably right actually so that does that does explain why it's early in the album
1: And so then you get into First Snow, which is an instrumental... the idea here is that you know the angel has now come down to earth and is walking around as a child and just sort of observing what is happening um in different parts of the world here and so i'm trying to see what i had for notes on this song this one i think it's is a I very it's sort kind of, of
0: ironic yeah. that this is this is the first track that actually truly feels like a rock song to me on the album it's the first one that actually feels like okay this was written as a rock song rather than written as a sort of an orchestral piece with rock instrumentation. And yet it's instrumental. <laughs> and it's no a lyrics. very arena
1: rock song though, right? It's a very eighties uh mm. to me in feel oh, yeah, with yeah. the rolling keyboards and the, and it is, you know, it goes back to that whole, um,
0: oh, it goes back to the sabotage thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And the Broadway stage production thing of it, like this, this sort of upbeat, you know, uh, sort of thing. And then, and so you have that, which is, which is a cool, as you said, kind of rock song. It's not super heavy, but it's definitely got those elements of kind of arena rock with it, with its melody. Um, that's instrumental song five. The Silent Nutcracker is Silent Night and Nutcracker, sort of a medley between the two. And this one is uh, mostly a classical guitar piece. and this is where i think you can appreciate some of petrelli's playing because if you've ever seen people play classical guitar like it's ridiculous it's it, there's a there's an art to it and it is not oh, yeah, yeah. easy at all and you have to be a very skilled player my my buddy john who listens to the show um even though we grew up in the 80s and he grew up playing you know heavy metal guitar nowadays plays mostly classical and Man, that's a whole different animal there. Yeah, so, that
0: shit is not easy. No,
1: no, it, it, just the the whole multiple strings at once thing going. Like, it's really it, it's kind of awesome to watch. This is a this is a song that I would like to see, and I'm sure there's one on YouTube, like him actually playing live, right? Um, you know, up close. So, so yeah, I think this
0: is this is very much a track where, it, you know, like the enjoyment of it comes in the appreciation of the skill required to play it. If you know what I mean, because the actual track itself it feels a bit like filler it's like you know uh i guess it's a breather because yeah. you've got the first snow is fairly rocky and then the next track is also you know faster and a bit heavier so it's a bit of a breather but uh it, even so you know it's uh it, it feels like it's trying a bit too hard to be clever you know oh look how clever i am i can put the Nutcracker and Silent Night together in my rock opera.
1: Sure. Yep.
0: (laughs) But it is well played. It's very well played. And yeah, he's listening to it, I was like, okay, this guy really can play.
1: And then the heaviness and the pace picks up in song six, which is a Mad Russian's Christmas, which is also an instrumental... And it is a medley involving um Nutcracker Act Two number two from Tchaikovsky. And so that's sort of woven into this um much more sort of up-tempo, heavier songs, and especially the the sort of almost doomish intro of the piano and then the guitars kick in and just the tone of the guitars like
0: it's It's much more Russian. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and yeah, and it's just like just the way the guitars kick in and and their tone, it feels very very crunchy and very sort of dark. Um, mm.
0: I think this is much better than the previous track. I think this is a much more successful, uh, you know, endeavor of mixing classical and traditional music with that sort of rock opera style that they have. I mean, the counterpoint with the guitars against the Nutcracker, uh, you know, the Tchaikovsky uh, rather is. Um, yeah, no, it is still The Nutcracker, isn't it? Yeah. So you've got the guitars playing sort of against and then with and kind of weaving in and out of the Tchaikovsky. That's really interesting. Um, and I think that makes it feel a lot more original.
1: And that's what we've and come that, for, right? Because as I mentioned, right. you saw that, you know, if, if you were introduced to this band through MTV, then then this is what you thought you were getting when you On the picked whole up this album. The, yeah. Exactly. So this, yeah. this is like, oh, okay, this is what I came for.
0: Uh, and the, the traditional Russian melodies in here as well, um, which I, I confess I don't know the – I recognize them all, but I don't know if they're actual folk tunes or if they're just something that's so – they've become so ubiquitous that when you hear them, you just think, oh, Russia. You know, right. a, a bit like when you hear the Marseillaise or, you know, you just immediately go, oh, France. right? Um, I, so I don't know if they are actually traditional folk melodies or not. There's no other songwriters – credited on this track, so I assume that they probably are. Um, but they're all very, very Russian. Yeah, you know, you kind of yep. hear them and you immediately just think of, well, Siberia.
1: <laughs> right, and this this whole section of the album is sort of uh, the angel travelling over different parts of the world as he's, you know, sort of looking for right. this this uh, one example of, of the, the spirit of this day sort of thing.
0: Well, and the, you know, the next part of the story takes place in Eastern Europe yep. um, and I mean when this band was formed was already sort of post the fall of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. but nevertheless it was close enough that I think you can forgive people especially non-Europeans for associating Russian classical and folk music with the Balkans. I mean really no <laughs> but to to non-Europeans that probably feels like a fairly natural fit. Um, so I think that this, the, the, even the instrumentation here is clearly meant to evoke Russia and Eastern Europe.
1: Well, and, and this part of the album, especially as we get to the Christmas Eve Sarajevo song is, I don't want to say shoehorned in, but it, but it, it makes sense in the, in the idea that the angel is sort of traveling around the world, because a year earlier in 1995, uh, Sabotage had released their dead winter dead concept album, which is around the Bosnian War. That's basically what this right, what this right. concept album was, and that's where Christmas Eve, Sarajevo originally came from. Was this particular album? So it was a song off that album that they brought over to the uh, TSO album, and so that album is a whole concept album about, um, you know, from like 1990 to 1995. Um, this story that goes along about a, a boy and a girl. It's sort of a Romeo and Juliet type of thing, but you. It, it's a it's a concept album that dealt with all of that. So I think it felt like it was a good place to sort of bring some of that in here because you have this concept of the angel going around the world. Um,
0: yeah. Well, and also, you know, if they had, to be fair, even if they had found sort of, you know, traditional, I don't know, Croatian or Slovenian or sure. Slovakian or whatever melodies, most people probably wouldn't recognize them. Yeah, you know, whereas, no, you're absolutely right. Whereas the stuff they've put in here, even though it is Russian rather than Balkan, uh, you do recognise it and you do immediately think of Russia and Eastern Europe. So, like I say, it's understandable. Uh, it was just a bit weird to hear that and then sort of immediately go to Sarajevo and you're like, wait, hang on, what?
1: <laughs> right. And then you get uh, from Mad Russian's Christmas, you go into song seven, which is The Prince of Peace.
2: Let the bells ring out, peace tidings let it ever across the Born in Bethlehem and his kingdom is at hand. Let the world rejoice together as it looks upon the stars, knowing every man's a brother and that every child.
1: is a medley of hark the herald angels sing and the woman who sings on this her name is marlene danielle and she has a beautiful voice and it's again another contrast to sort of what you've heard so far this adds another level of of uh sort of diversity to this album because this her vocal performance is just very different from everything that you've heard
0: so far it is, yeah, and it's very nice. um And you're right, Heart the Herald Angels Sing is in there, but actually, the first four verses, the main melody, is the Holly and the Ivy, which is a, I'm not sure how well known it is in the States, but it's a traditional British Christmas carol that's a couple of hundred years old, as is Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Um, so, yeah, putting those two together like that is quite interesting, and she does sing it very, very well.
1: And that's the other thing, too, is that. Um... Whenever we hear sort of these these uh, traditional, you know, carols and stuff like that, like it's easy to sort of dismiss them as as like somebody else's somebody else already wrote this song. The way that they weave some of these songs together though, like two or three different of those traditional carols in a particular song is kind of awesome in a lot of ways. Mm. Like there oh, yeah, there's some that, yeah, real nice. good uh, sort of mixing and matching here that you're like, "Oh, I would have never thought of putting those two songs together and but they make it work." And it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, no, it's really well arranged. Absolutely. Um, uh, Also, interestingly, just from a sort of music nerd point of view, the arrangement of Heart the Herald Angels Sing here. Like when you hear Heart the Herald Angels Sing sung in modern days, it's normally very up tempo. Yeah. Quite fast. It's very cheerful, sort of, you know, Heart the Herald, everybody's happy, blah, blah, blah. But the arrangement here, which is very slow and, you know, almost sort of a bit sad, is actually closer to the traditional style that is closer to the original style that the uh you know that when it was originally sung back in the seventeen eighteen hundreds. i don't know whether that's deliberate i'm going to assume it is i'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because it's christmas
1: <laughs> yeah in this part there, there's in the liner notes um as this song is going the the story says as he flew over sarajevo there were scars upon the land there were scars upon the people it was hard to understand so the the sort of angels kind of taking in everything that's happened. Um, In Christmas Eve, in this song, Christmas Eve Sarajevo, there's a part in the Dead Winter Dead album where you have a a cellist who is sort of playing in the middle of this town square as bombs are going off around him. That's kind of the concept of that part of of that Ah, album over there. And so here, they're sort of alluding to him witnessing that. It was a single cello playing a forgotten Christmas song, and even on that battlefield, the song somehow belonged. And so... You're you're sort of seeing him witness that that particular piece there. And then you go into Christmas Eve Sarajevo twelve twenty four, which is the song that introduced many people in the States at least to Trans Siberian Orchestra.
0: It's really interesting that that is a instrumental. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and in the, in a, the yeah, actual video, all, what...
1: they're all dressed up as you know members of an orchestra and stuff like that. So in, right. in the middle of this sort of forest, and and you've got this rousing sort of metal classical instrumental, which is really, it, it's a freaking great song.
0: Oh, it is absolutely. It's just unusual. I think quite strange to think that you know an instrumental. Quasi classical <laughs> rock opera song, uh, you know, would have had so much play on something like MTV, and would be the track that got people into the band. You know what I mean? Rather than something with lyrics.
1: Well, and to go back to what we were talking about before, like you, it, there was a sense of mystery to it because it was an instrumental. There was a sense of mystery to it because of the way the video was presented. You, like, like I said, I was like, "Who the hell are these guys? Are they some right. sort of you know metal orchestra like?" I didn't know anything about them, and the video did nothing to solve any of those mysteries. If anything, it made you just want to learn more about them because you didn't raise
0: more questions. Yeah, yeah, you had no
1: idea they were even an American band or anything like that. Like it, it, you didn't know anything about them from watching the video except like this song's pretty freaking awesome, and I need to find out more about this. So it was, it was almost like a trailer for you know for the band. <laughs> like you were like, I got to find out more about these guys because the, there was. There was a lot of questions after you saw this first video because you're right; it doesn't right. give you a lot to identify the bandwidth, other than this, no. you know, really sort of metalish classical tune.
0: Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of people say that this is their favorite track of this band, and I was I didn't re- understand why I was thinking I was listening to it, thinking like, how did this get to be people's favorite track? And of course, now I know because of the video. So we'll definitely have to put that in the show notes yeah
2: there's
1: even been uh some commercials out here in the states of like of uh christmas lights being set to that you could probably find a video on youtube of like people's christmas lights set to this song like oh, really? uh, uh, on their house and <laughs> stuff like that so in their front yard and on their house and stuff like that the the lights are blinking in you know in concert with the this particular song so it definitely even for people who are not metal fans even for people who have no idea who tso is the general well, populace has may an awareness well know of this, this song yeah. yeah yeah so it sort of transcends um, the band and this album and you know the rest of their stuff
0: i want to mention as an aside um, you know part of the story as you say the liner note story uh, is that the angels realization that where or the initial realization anyway that where there is music there's hope which is you know a, a nice sentiment um, and I just want to quickly say, as an aside, listeners who uh, do enjoy a bit of classical or a bit of sort of experimental classical especially um, may want to check out uh, a piece by Olivier Messiaen called Quartet for the End of Time. Messiaen was a, I mean, he was a composer, but he was also a Jewish prisoner in a French, in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. And he actually wrote and performed this piece, Quartet for the End of Time, while imprisoned, specifically writing for the only four instruments available to uh, him and the others, which was piano, violin, cello and clarinet. So that's why it's a quartet. And, I mean, it's not a hopeful tune at all. It's, (laughs) It's very melancholy, as you might expect. But apparently, you know, he said that focusing on this piece and writing and performing it, actually the first performance was for the guards in the prison, um in the concentration camp uh, writing and performing it helped him get through his imprisonment um and it is a beautiful beautiful piece of work one of my favorite classical pieces so you know just complete aside but on that theme of you know music can bring you hope and be a bit of a savior by itself um i think it's worth mentioning people should go and check that out. oh dude like absolutely of, you know,
1: i can't wait to check that out And and we've talked about this before i mean for I guarantee you, if we put the question out there, we would hear from many of our listeners that music saved their life. You know, yeah, for a lot of people yeah. who grew up, especially, I, I think, metal fans, you know, there there is a special place in music as therapy for us, you know. So, absolutely. So I t- I, well, totally I think agree.
0: any kind of rock music, metal, goth, sure. you know, yep. emo, whatever you want to call it these days, any kind of rock music, underground cult music, really.
1: Yep, absolutely. So, obviously, great instrumental. Everybody knows the song, as you said. Uh,
0: Apparently. I didn't, but apparently everybody else does. (laughs) Right.
1: Everybody else in the world knows this song. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, of course, the angel is still searching at this point. And, And the next one is, the next song is Good King Joy.
2: And they check the books full of prophecy. And the one king said, why it's plain to me. You see, it means that a king. Saved mankind on this blessed morn, blessed morn. So they packed some gold, myrrh, and frankincense on some old camels with some fancy tents. Closed down the house, set the servants free, and three kings rode into history.
1: Which is sort of a joy to the world medley, um, which is okay. I mean, it's not much like the um, what song were we talking about before. Much like the Nutcracker song, like it, it is what it is. This song doesn't necessarily blow me away as to the rest of the album, but it's sort of a, right. a bridge to what is the final act of this album, and in that way, I think it's it's sort of a palate cleanser.
0: Well, it is, but it's also it. For me, this track felt like it was the track where it was okay. Now we're going into full on rock opera mode. Like this is definitely a, yes, like a it. like a it's,
1: performance piece.
0: Right, it's a real you can you can picture this on stage very much. Oh, totally. Um, and musically, it calls back to uh, "Good King Wenceslas," which is another traditional carol. Of course, um, ironically. We only get the music, not the lyrics. And the music to Good King Winter's Last was actually originally a song about springtime, not winter. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but most people have no idea about that, of course. Um, but that is another very old traditional British uh, Christmas carol. And um, what's interesting about one of the things that's interesting about this track is that it's it's the longest track on the album, but it is mostly instrumental. And it moves between several movements yep. uh and when there are vocals they switch singers around the male and female and so if you're not following along as it were you know if you're not sort of reading the liner notes and sort of watching the counter as as you listen you would and i certainly did when i first listened to it you know just kind of putting it on uh thought that this was actually several different songs and didn't realize that it was all one song
1: it's almost like a play within a play right the, the, mm. This, As you said, this this song itself is very much like its own little performance. And in a lot of ways, it is the sort of closing of act two of right, this right. album.
0: Well, and complete with, um, one of the things I really like about it musically is there is a key change halfway through, um, which helps make it feel like you're moving into a new area, as you said. And it's uh, when he sings Three Kings Road into History – uh, and then just as he hits the next line, there is a key change. Um, and that really sort of lifts it up and yeah, moves it into the next section. That's a really, I mean, it's a very rock opera thing to do. Sure. Um, but you know, operation mind could have had, could have stood to have a few more bits like that. <laughs> um, it works, you know, it's yes, it's sort of like I say, cliche rock opera stuff, but it really works and it does help. Make it feel like you're moving into a new part of the story,
1: Yeah, and you just did that song much better justice than, than I did, and and part of it is because I feel so strongly about the last part of this album that it right This song suffers from me wanting to sort of get to that, because I as I listen to it, when we hit Christmas Eve Sarajevo, which for many people is probably their favorite song in the album, that to me just tells me that we're almost to the part of the album that I love the most. And so right. <laughs> this song nine gets gets sort of caught in between where.
0: In your anticipation. In my for the anticipation rest of, it, yeah.
1: of the rest of the album. And in particular, <laughs> one song, but it starts with this song number 10 Ornament. No
2: one can see her. She's standing all alone. So.
1: In the meta story of this album, you have the angel who's looking around the world, and then he finally keys into, and he's basically saying that that was a beautiful song, but something's missing. I haven't found th- the thing yet that I've been sent down to find. And as he's sort of scanning around the world, he hears the prayer of a father. And from what it talks about in the story, like not not necessarily even a deeply religious man, but a father who's sort of at his at his sort of wit's end, uh, who is missing his daughter. And so he goes down to to sort of see more about this. And this song, Ornament, is basically about a father who is lamenting the fact that his daughter, the way I read it is is like ran away or something, you know, or, or left home for some reason. But he he just wants her to come home, and he's hoping that something will bring her back home. And that's what he's thinking about, and that's what he's sort of praying for.
0: Yeah, it's in terms of the sort of story and lyrics, it's not entirely clear and, frankly, not entirely plausible. Because on the one hand, it sounds like she's like a seven-year-old girl or something. And then you're like, well, why would she be in a different part of the country just wandering the streets? It's like, what's going on here? Right. Um, in
1: my head, it's sort of a teenage <laughs> runaway sort of situation where, right, where she's, right. she's left and, and he's just trying to – and he doesn't know where she is. And he's hoping I think that that's something more will what
0: they her would, back. I think that's more what they were trying to go for, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine. This track, um, it's half the length of the previous one, but yep. it has just as many lyrics. Um, and, uh, I, the only real note that I've got about this is another Steinman special, because this is another one that sounds uh, the, like it would be at home on, you know, a full-on rock opera Absolutely. album.
1: Yeah. And this one, this one is, is a little bit cheesy too, but, but it's, again, we're, we're getting to the. We're getting to the song that, uh, that I think this whole album was basically created to... To house.
0: To house, and, to house yeah.
1: exactly. And so, you know, in the meta story, the angel hears this prayer. And so the angel sets about trying to find the girl that he has lost. And so you then get into an instrumental, the first Noel... which is a fine uh,
0: instrumental. Uh, yeah, I, I actually um, <laughs> I actually really like this instrumental. Uh, it is, I just want to say, I'm not really so sure, like some of the sentiment in this is clearly well-meaning, but uh, there's, you know, bits where it almost feels like they're saying that, I don't know, they're almost like that it's okay to spend Christmas sitting with a bunch of other guys getting drunk in a bar, Um, which they kind of refute at the end, but throughout there's a lot of sort of affirming sentiment that that's actually an okay way to spend Christmas. I'm not sure I can get behind that.
1: Well, the thing in the liner notes basically says the, the part of the story says every light can be a star just depends on where you are. So, so even the, the, because there's this, this sort of um, idea that the, the star is the, sign outside the neon the neon sign yeah. outside the bar is the star that yeah. they wish upon that night. So basically when you when you're wishing upon a star for for something to happen, it doesn't it doesn't actually have to be a star. It can be it can be any light that's sort of close to you. And and again, maybe it's a clumsy implementation of that
0: sort of sentiment. Concept. I mean, you can you can tell that their hearts in the right sure. place. Sure. Yep. Know? Um and the music for this as I say I, I think it's it's a nice short little track, but I I do like it and the the amusing thing is that the music reference, uh, I'm sure most people, especially Americans, will associate. Uh, clearly, it's Noel Noel, you know, born as the king of Israel. Sure. But uh, over here, that tune is more commonly associated with a children's Christmas carol called Away in a Manger, um, which is basically the same story. It's about the birth of Christ. Um, but, like, the, the title of Noel doesn't mean a lot over it doesn't mean the same thing doesn't have the same associations and certainly the music when you hear it you're like wait a second but i think that's just a transatlantic you know uh slipping communication lost in translation as it were
1: and and the way this song segues into the next song i think is just beautiful too though and
0: and so
1: so wonderfully written is the next song that in the way that it builds on this song I just think is phenomenal. It's, it's the it's the best transition on the album in my uh, opinion as we get into song 12 which is written both musically and lyrically by Paul O'Neill. So John Oliva who is this composer who's you know done all the sabotage stuff, who's done most of the stuff on this album, he this is Paul O'Neill's song.
0: Right. And it's called Old City Bar. In an Old
2: City Bar. It's never too far From the places that gather The dreams that have been In the safety of night In its old neon light It beckons to strangers They always come in In the snow it was falling The neon was calling the music was low and the night Christmas Eve. And here was the danger. And even with strangers inside of this night, it's easier to believe.
1: And in my humble opinion, is the greatest Christmas song ever written.
0: Um, <laughs> and I know wow. that
1: sounds like hyperbole here, but I will tell you right now, honestly, and I'm a big softy, I've never listened to this song without getting teary eyed ever. Right. I've never, and I've listened to this song probably a thousand times. And it never doesn't make me emotional when I listen to it. Like, that's how powerful I think this song is. So, um, Again, this is one of those as we talked about with a few songs ago, like a story within a story. This this one song, we could do a whole episode on this uh, on this one song because it tells two stories. It tells the story of what the angel sees, what the angel does and what happens with this young girl, but it also tells the story of the the guys who are spending Christmas Eve at this bar. And yep. it's at the same time this touching, hopeful song and also this very sad and lonely song, which is kind of amazing.
0: Yeah, and this is the other over six minutes track yes. on this album as well. So yeah, they do sort of pack a lot in. Um yeah, it's it's a good track. Uh nice sentiment. I did laugh at the reference to payphones. Right. Uh, <laughs> that that'll date it. <laughs> it. It definitely
1: did date it, yep. And-
0: um but yeah, this is another one where the sentiment at the end is like, oh, you know, why aren't you at home? Well we're already at home because we're here with our friends in the bar getting drunk.
1: <laughs> right and that's the duality of the story that's being told here because you have this you have this um old neighborhood bar where obviously there are a lot of regulars who have probably you know drank years of their life away at this place and 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 this is also the bar that the stranger is being told the overall story in and uh and so to me it's through the eyes of the person who originally witnessed this story and this is the story he's telling to the guy who comes oh, in it is. At, yeah, at the yeah, beginning absolutely. of the thing and so You know the the notion that um, the angel walks into this bar and basically says to the bartender, you know, there's somebody outside who can't get home, and the bartender who probably has seen it all and heard it all and been, you know, spent years of his own life in this place and uh, does something very uncharacteristic for him, which is to basically take all of the cash out of the uh, cash register drawer, go outside, and give this girl the money to get her back home to her father and the people inside the bar are witnessing this so they can't hear what's said they don't know uh for sure what happened between them but they see her get in a cab and they see her drive away and then they see the bartender come back in and basically say that nobody has to pay for a drink for the rest of the night and he doesn't really speak about what happened with this girl and then of course the angel disappears by the time anyone turns around to uh to talk to him here but but man, what a freaking powerful, powerful song. And part of it for me is like, it, there's a lot of reasons the song makes me very emotional. Obviously, as a father. Also, I was going to say,
0: being a parent, I imagine, is one of them, yeah.
1: Being a parent, but also uh, being someone who, in the in the first part of my career, I went to school for criminal justice. And so I thought I was going to be a cop, or I was going to be a lawyer, or whatever. Well, I ended up, after I got out of school, working uh, at a residential program for... Kids who were either in the custody of the state or um, had had some serious problems at home and couldn't live at home at that point in time, and I used to run group homes for teenagers. So,
0: oh man, I had no. The idea. early
1: part of my career was spent basically running a home where kids lived twenty four seven, and it was a in the city that i live in now i ran a program i ran a few different programs but this particular program was a co-ed program where i had kids from seven years old to 18 years old at this program who for many different reasons couldn't live at home and so the, for me this particular song is like just gut-wrenchingly uh close to so home. close to home and and so it's it's Truly, a song that like I can't even listen to like when my family's in the car or because any- I'll start crying. I'm- I listened to it on the way to work yesterday morning, and I was getting all teary-eyed listening to it. I, I did a blog post which I'll put a uh, a link to like three years ago. I wrote about the song on my blog about how it's my favorite Christmas song of all time. But uh, in addition to that story, so you have this wonderful thing about the bartender does something that most people wouldn't do. And this girl gets to go home to her family. But then, as you said, the flip side of that is that you have these people who have basically lived their lives in this bar. And the, and in addition to sort of the tragedy of that, there's the notion that no one will ever believe them that this happened. You know, like right. all the yeah. people who were in the bar that night who watched this story play out and if they told someone, they're just a bunch of old drunks and no one's ever going to believe them. And so on the one hand, it's this moment that they shared together that no one else will ever really know. And on the flip side, it's a story that no one would ever believe because of who they are and where they are. And that's really sad too. So it's a song about this loneliness of these people who have lost years of their lives and people from their lives who are are inhabiting this bar, but then also the touching story of the girl who through the kindness of a stranger you know basically gets to go home and and be with her family when maybe all the people in the bar they don't even have that anymore and right. so it was the bartender's chance to do something that uh that for many of those people in the bar just couldn't happen nowadays and and there's a particular lyric that is uh where is it Uh, It says, if you want to arrange it, this world, you can change it. If we could somehow make this Christmas thing last by helping a neighbor or even a stranger and to know who needs help, you need only just ask. And, you know, again, if you're getting sentimental about it like I am and you're starting to think about the fact that, uh, as we talked about at the top of the album, this is a time of year where people are nice to each other. You know, this is a time of year where people want to uh, give a little more or go the extra step. And whether you're religious or not, it's just sort of the sentiment of the season but the sad thing is it's the sentiment of the season and then right. once the season's over we go back to being assholes to each other again yep. and that's really sad man and and this song really kind of captures that just so perfectly like hey if we could if we could bottle something and you can you can see times throughout our history i mean we just had a mass shooting that happened here in california the other day and in the wake of tragedy people come together yeah but they only come together for so long you look at nine eleven, you look at all that kind of stuff and and just the simple notion of boy if we could just make this kind of sentiment last wouldn't we all be in a much better place and yep. this so for me like on so many levels this song just sort of captures all of that and so it's just a heavy heavy song um not heavy musically but heavy emotionally right right and just uh man it's it's a uh, It's a wonderful song, and so I would, even if people don't go and buy this album after they listen to this, track down Old City Bar, and really, there are a couple of performances that are linked to in my blog post, you can find it on YouTube too, of different singers who have sung with TSO performing this song live, and the two in particular that I have on the blog are just, they both just kill it, just fantastic, and it was the highlight of the show that I saw them in, it was the one song I was waiting to hear and they just did a wonderful amazing job with it. So uh so that so this is the thing that the the angel finds. You know, this is the moment. This this act of kindness from the bartender to this young girl helping her get home is the thing that the angel is basically going to bring back to God and say, "See? They're capable of, you know, of some great acts of kindness. They're they're capable of living up to, you know, what you what you had hoped for them." And right so that, In the
0: line notes, it says it's, it's every gift that someone gives expecting nothing back, which is which just freaking is, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's clearly, you know, that's the giving somebody a gift, but expecting something in return. Well, that's not a gift then, is it? You know, that's a trade. Um, so yes, you know, this, uh, giving, showing kindness with it while expecting nothing in return is the thing that he finds. And that is, you know, the sentiment that we all wish would last all year round. Sure. Um, and on that note, can I, I? had no idea about the the kids shelter stuff. Can I just say you're a good man, Brandon? <laughs> Thanks.
1: Wow. I, uh, I'll tell you right now. I would. I and I still work in human services. Right. What I do now for a job is I I work with uh, family child care providers, who are people that are caring for young children in their home. Um, I do like licensing work and and getting those people uh, trained and approved and and licensed to care for other people's children and stuff like that. But the work that I did with the uh, the kids to this day is by far the most rewarding thing that I ever did, and it's a job that a lot of people burn out of because it's very right. emotional and very hard work. And my wife also works in human services and still works with uh, families who are struggling and, and things like that. And so uh, it's a it's a job that when I was single, uh, before I was married, and I worked, you know. Twelve-hour shifts and worked overnights, and because you, there has to be people at these programs twenty-four-seven, and so you know, running these group homes was very rewarding work, but it's it's very difficult to do for an extended period of time. But I occasionally will still run into kids that I had in a program and hear about how they went off to college and they did this kind of stuff, and sadly, those stories are are fewer than the stories of the ones who maybe didn't. Uh, have such great luck when they left the program so you got to take those victories where you can where you can get them can but them. it is yeah. you know anybody that does that work is uh it, it's something that is almost an invisible profession because when I was in college no one even taught me that that was a that was work that was being done you know that, I, that was even a thing you could that do that was like, even yeah, a thing yeah. that you could do and I ended up there by default because I thought when I got out I was going to be a probation officer and I was going to work in the courts and then I had no idea that you don't just walk out of college and get those jobs. Those are jobs that people have been trying to, um, you know, get for twenty years in the field and and so it was kind of a rude awakening when I graduated school with my criminal justice degree to uh, to find that I wasn't going to get any of those positions that I thought I was and I ended up working for this program uh, by default and and sort of falling into it and it ended up being you know something that set me on my career path but also. I'll never forget, you know, completely wow. shaped kind of who I was. So, so yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and now you know why this song, you know, basically kills yeah, me every absolutely. time that I listen to it. So
0: I kind of feel like we should probably end there. I, but well, <laughs> in some we've ways, we still got the, five tracks to go. <laughs> in some ways,
1: the album, that is, that is the end. It's the centerpiece. For me. Yeah. And then there is the epilogue. And, right, and really right. the, uh, the next song, again, I feel bad because it, it gets, Sandwiched in between, so the so the three songs that form this story arc are ornament, which is the father's prayer. There is old city bar, which is the the girl uh, you know uh, getting the money to go back home, and then there is uh, song fourteen, this Christmas day, which is her returning home. So this song thirteen promises to keep. is another song that sort of for me gets sandwiched in between those yeah. those two songs you know and, and but it also brings back uh some of the melody that we've heard in earlier parts of the album and it has this and it's only it's not even 3 minutes long it's 2 minutes 41 seconds this promise is to keep song uh and has a pretty big rousing finish as well so it's a it's yeah. a great song i like this song well-
0: and there's a few tracks. I mean, th- this uh, has a counter melody of "Deck the Halls" with bows and holly yep. uh, running underneath it, which is, of course, another traditional carol. Um, there are quite a few songs here that make callbacks musically to um, to previous tracks on the album, which obviously is a very sort of you know operatic or classical concerto yep. thing to do. Um, so it definitely has that kind of feel to it. And yeah, I agree with you. This is you know it's fine. I guess children's choir. It's fine, but there's nothing special about it, and it does feel like again, it's just sort of pushing towards the next track,
1: which which I'm kind of okay with because, as we just talked about for twenty minutes, that song to me is so freaking emotional that it's okay to have a song afterwards,
0: have a breather, where I'm having
1: a breather before we get to you know the father and daughter being sort of reunited. So I'm I'm okay with that, and it's uh, you know it's not it's it's a good song um right. but yeah but then it, it, but it's christmas day is the song where you know the father is on christmas day the daughter comes home and is reunited with the father Christmas Day is to me not even musically that great of a song. It's the emotion of the story arc that carries it for me it, because you know of those three songs, I think by far, Old City Bar musically is the is the best song of those three. but this Christmas Day is this very hopeful and sort of you know celebratory song as it should be, and mm. um it's sort of a nice wrapping up of that story arc and you the the thing that I feel about this song is you can feel the joy of the father in the song of him, you know, being reunited with his daughter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Musically, it's not really anything special, but I agree. It's a sort of satisfying emotional end to that story arc at any rate.
1: Yeah. And there's this great, um, you know, chorus at the end and stuff like that. It's, it, it you know the girl the girls back home
0: right they do another round robin of of the choir as well yeah you know places that
1: they do that in this album they do a great job with it and and they don't overuse it this is not something you get in every single song and and again that's where you know i think overall the album is a is just a great mix of different um you know different approaches and this is another place where it's really it's really well done and then uh Song number 15 is the true end of the album, even though there's a couple bonus tracks afterwards. But number 15 is An Angel Returned.
2: An angel returned that night through the sky. But time it was short, he had to decide.
1: is the angel returning to God and sort of recounting the story. And this song is definitely a very sort of rousing, closing tune to wrap up the album that goes back to the melody of the very first song where the angel came down. Right. Now the angel's returning. And so it, it, it does what a good last song is supposed to do, which is feed you right back into the beginning of the album. Um, yep.
0: It's the, the reprise of the opening track,
1: yes, exactly. and so you could see this you can see basically in your mind's eye the entire everybody involved with the performance walking out on stage as the song is sort of coming to a close and everybody's sort of standing up and clapping as the performance is you know coming to a close and stuff like that. so it, it you know in terms of them completing the different story arcs of this album and bringing everything back to the finish, this song does a really good job of that
0: yeah the one thing that threw me in this was the when they get towards the end and they keep repeating kyrie among nations um which like i know that kyrie has become a traditional sort of part of christmas song and stuff but it kyrie means lord not peace right so so it doesn't it kind of doesn't make sense uh in the lyrics but nevertheless i understand the sentiment the sentiment is lovely
1: (laughs) right and so then uh so that's basically the end of the album proper now in the version that I have uh the CD that I have and and the one that you listen to as well you get two instrumentals on the end of this Oh Holy Night right. and God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen which are both songs that have been woven into other songs on this album to this point but they're they're the instrumental versions of each of the two of these and so um
0: Yeah and they're both just both played on classical guitar I think aren't they
1: Yes they are and so but but truly the the album ends with you know, song number fifteen. So, as a whole, that to me is uh, an album that has some great songs on it. It's an album that has some great stories on it, and for me, houses the one Christmas song that I will always feel you know just just, just really strong attachment to. So, sure. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Trans Siberian Orchestra's Christmas Eve and Other Stories. Wow.
0: Um. So. As I've said a couple of times, you know, it's it's fine. Not really my thing. I don't think I really have a sort of favourite Christmas album. Because um, I just can't think of, of any. But there are a couple of Christmas songs that I really, really like. Uh, one of them is uh, not metal at all. One of them is I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. Uh-huh. Which I, I, I don't know if you've heard in the States. It's really big over here. Uh, it was by a band called Wizard, uh, which was formed by Roy Wood, uh, latterly of... Move I know that I've heard one that of the song. Founding members of ELO and it's right, you've I presume you've heard the Slade song, uh Merry Christmas Everybody. Yes. Again, that, that right, that gets played over here all the time at Christmas. Well, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Basically, that and Slade were numbers one and two in the Christmas charts the same year wow. when they were released. And so they both get played incessantly. I like the Slade track, but the wizard track is I prefer it. Um, Partly just because I really like Roy Wood He's from Birmingham He's a good local boy Uh, Fantastic songwriter In all the phases of his career Right from the 60s through to the 80s Um, And yeah, you know I just say not metal at all But I really like it However, there is also a metal track That I really, really like um, By one of my favourite bands That we haven't talked about We haven't covered, I should say On the show yet But we will And that is Typo Negative Um, And they did a song on their album October Rust called red water brackets christmas morning and that's morning with a u of course um and that is fantastic i mean it is it is the complete opposite of like it is not hopeful it is not cheerful right <laughs> you know it's a really really depressing sad song um all about how uh like there's a line what is it um the table's been set for just seven last year i dined with 11 that's, you know, it's kind of like really... Yeah, very uplifting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just sort of a but, very,
1: very light sort of Christmas but it's fare. But got,
0: it's got that wonderful trademark typo negative humour. It has sleigh bells, for heaven's sake. Sleigh bells, like really slowly chink, chink, chink along in the chorus. Yeah. At one point, it all drops out and they segue into a... God rest ye merry gentlemen. Nice. For like while wind howls through the bleak house in the background.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe what we could do next year if we did a holiday special was each pick like five songs or so.
0: Uh maybe our yeah, different yeah. maybe Christmas sort that, of metal yeah. rock songs yeah.
1: and uh put put together our own sort of compilation uh of that because there are some great tunes out there from different bands over the years like uh it would be fun to go back and revisit some of that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. But anyway, so that that's my, I mean, I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm not really that bothered about Christmas. For, for me, the enjoyment of Christmas is seeing friends and family that I haven't seen for a while and, uh, sort of seeing the happiness on, uh, my niece and nephew and our godchildren. Sure. Um, you know, sort of that's, that's my enjoyment of Christmas F- for me, you know, it's, it means very little, but, uh, I do, you know, as we've said, I, I certainly agree with the sentiment of, I wish people would be this nice to one another all year round. Wouldn't that be lovely?
1: Sure, because you just said it. I mean, even for people that are not religious in any way, shape, or form, this time of the year seems to be a time where people come together with family, they give gifts to each other, they sort of celebrate together, and it's just something that you you would wish that we would be able to capture all the time.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, on that note, a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. To all of our listeners, Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for being part of our little community. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, goodwill to all.
1: Yes, and onward to 2016. We can't wait to come back with season two.
0: Volume two. Keep saying season. We must say volume.
1: Volume two, yes.
0: (laughs) We're not not a TV box set.
1: (laughs) I know. I think of everything in seasons nowadays.
0: All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Anthony Johnston and Brian Letendry, Thrash It Out. Please support the show by going to patreon.com slash thrashitout, rate us on iTunes, and get in touch at thrashitoutpodcast.com. Happy holidays, everyone, and we will see you in the new year.